Recorded live. <laughs> All right, welcome to this edition of the First Class Migraine Podcast. Uh, because uh, with, now we've been the, now the mogul has been replaced with migraine thanks to the fact that my bad genetics has once again caught up with me. Uh, but I am going to power through it in order to give you the best show possible, um, and also continue to guess at the identity of guest three this entire time. Uh, which there has been a lot of controversy ever since I accused him of being Vert, the most heinous of all crimes in Mogul. Um, so let's introduce my co-host for this first, and definitely not last, because I'm introducing him first. Um, my brother and the general manager of the Oakland A's, Hick. Hick, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, G? I'm doing fine. Uh, Hick, once again, using his broadcast experience as he used as a uh, weather girl in um, in Vermont, I'm assuming, right? That was one time that I was a weather girl. <laughs> well, no, yeah, you, you were guess, the man, man baby. <laughs> yes. It was your Marilyn Monroe Halloween costume. Uh, and, so, uh, and also, um, on the line, a man who is who has just shot echoes through the mogul world with some of his trading and also echoes through the mogul world because of his craziness. Um, one of the, uh, the general manager of the Detroit Tigers, GB. GB, how you doing? Doing good, G. I wish you were doing better. Yes, me too. But uh, the worst part about this is this is coming in a week where I already can't take my medications or drink thanks to my doctor. So uh, I've just had no fun whatsoever. Like, my fun is just limited to beating down people on the football field with my Chad Pennington-like arm at quarterback. Um, so, anyone else want to take a shot at the identity of guest three? I'm pretty sure it's Andy now, but I'm not positive. I haven't even looked, but let me You've look. been wrong, what, three times? Um, well, no. One, no one. Mike. They just accused him of being hurt. They have good... I said that guest six oh, was GB, and I was right. Probably because he's cordial. Probably Andy, the Midwestern (laughs) vibe coming. Uh, You'd be right with that. Yes, he said nope at first and then said yes when you said it. Oh, I mean, we're Midwesterners. We don't let. Oh, well, I guess I'm wrong too, so never mind. Oh. Mm, okay. Guess he's just trolling us now at this point. Yeah. We'll just if we ignore him, maybe he'll reveal his himself. Right. Still pretty sure it's not Peter. That's the only thing I'm certain of. Too uh, much proper so, spelling, Peter. Yes, exactly. There's there's way too much command of the English language in terms of syntax, spelling, and grammar. Uh, so clearly, we have at least a college-educated person in there. Um, so. Um, let's uh, let's move on to the first part of the podcast, and that's going to be the recap of the playoffs. And this playoffs, uh, finally, Hokey got over his irrational fear of the New York Mets, and as well as the playoffs in general, and won his fourth world title, his third with Florida, which was sort of a last hurrah for the best starting pitcher in the league, Graham Carew, ends up beating uh, your Oakland A's hick, in the world, yeah. in seven yeah, games. Yes, I'm, I'm sure you were familiar with that. Um, 
believe it or not, uh, we have the other three representatives of the semifinals here on the podcast between uh, GB and I both losing in our respective championship series. So we are pretty well equipped to discuss this. Um, Florida did not have its best regular season. They've been a dominant team in the NL for a while, but this year in the regular season, at least they took a back seat to my Mets in the, in the NL. But uh, unlike in other past years, uh, they seem to have much better look in the playoffs, uh, really taking it to the Mets in the championship series, winning in five games, as well as squeezing out a tough series against Oakland, in my mind, one of the favorites to win the championship. So, um, despite some actual steps back in terms of trading some of his key pieces in the offseason, a strategy he's continuing to do is uh, sort of a retooling. He managed to pull off a World Series victory while doing this. Um, now, the real question is, with a guy like Carew leaving and some of the huge trades that Florida made uh, in order to restockpile its youth, do you think that Hokie can pull off this feat again? Um, Hick, what do you think? I do. Uh, not based on the roster he has currently at this exact moment, but I do think that he still has a lot more moves up his sleeve. Um, the, the roster itself right now is still looking pretty decent. I mean, there's like two holes in the entire roster, and one of them is just you know, a reliever, basically, you need to plug in one more person in there. And then, um, as of right now, it looks like his number five starter at this point, based on just, you know, that invited alone would be uh, Wanda Spurs, however you pronounce that, but I'm sure he's got more moves up his sleeve. Um, so, I mean, you know, it's hard to tell at this point, but I, I would give him a pretty good chance of, you know, doing well. Yeah, I, I, there's still a lot of the core talent there, in Florida, I mean, you've still got guys like Mickey Bailey, Tony Williams, and, of course, the incomparable Omar Zalaka leading off and playing shortstop, uh, Dean Thorpe at catcher, and still Luke's and McLewis. But it does look like, uh, although he brought back Diazzo, his guy that he, once, he actually traded away previously, it does look like with the loss of his uh, the uh, loss of his career, uh, the loss of his, like, his ace, um, it seems like the pitching depth has really taken a hit. Wandisford oh, looks pretty good, and Chris Johns looks okay, but it does not look like the powerhouse of a pitching staff that he once had a couple of years ago, and I think that that was probably his biggest advantage in the playoffs. They could shorten the rotation and force you to pay, face some of the dominant starters in in the league at this point. Um, uh, so, GB, what do you think of Florida's chances? It seems like Hick – thinks they're still pretty strong. I mean, I don't think they're out of contention, but I do think this might have been – this. they might have taken his best chance to win the title at least for the next couple of years by winning it uh, this year. Um, I think he has a solid shot of making the playoffs. I mean, you got Luke and you got Mac Lewis. Diaz is a solid three. Um, so when you have two elite – you have two aces at the top of your rotation, you have some pretty good hitters involved. Um I mean it's 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 between you, the Mets or I mean it's between God it's between Florida, the Mets and Washington every year. And you know, it's not a lot of games behind it, so it might put him in the same situation where he's a wild card, which he was in last year, but I mean, if he gets the playoffs anything can happen, I think he makes the playoffs. Yeah, the playoffs in, in, in FCM, I said, it's fair share of wackiness. I do think being a better team does put you at a distinct advantage. But, um, you know, any team with talent, 
the AU team with talent has you had a pretty good shot. Uh, you, and as you had a pretty good shot. And still with Lukes and McLewis, you see still has two of the best pitchers in the league and a pretty good a pretty good core behind that. Uh, I think as usual with any hockey team, uh, depth is going to play a huge role because he doesn't keep much around on the bench or or in the reserves. And one injury could really to a star player could really torpedo his chances. Yeah, I mean he's he's had a good good run with depth with no depth, and you know one of those years is going to hurt him. But his rotation is then if he gets one of those guys gets hurt. He, it could it could be pretty bad because you know there's a central team that could take a wild card spot from him if if he has some injuries. Absolutely, and he's actually talked about in the chat that he thinks Philadelphia is going to be a dangerous team coming up in the next two years with some of their young talent finally reaching the major leagues. Uh, we'll discuss that when it comes to the season preview portion of this podcast, but I do think that there might be something to that, that Philadelphia is going to be more of a contender than it has been in years past. I don't know if that's good, if that means the team's going to be that much better than 500, but it does seem, but I do see some of this young talent coming up that may, uh, that may start pushing teams like Washington, teams like myself, teams like Florida, uh, to the into a, into a bit of an arms race, right? G, we'll get into that right. later. Get out of here. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Get out of here. <laughs> well, way to transition, GB. Uh, I think the second part, although I didn't make this this big on the run sheet, we'll talk about some of the new owners because there's been some new things going on in the uh, things going on in the uh, in the chat. So, uh, in, and in the league in general. Sorry if I'm a bit incoherent, still fighting off that uh, brain thing. Uh, so, I think the first move to talk about is Rocky, uh, the longtime Milwaukee owner, moving to Boston, and actually moving to Boston at the time where Milwaukee was probably the best team in the National League in the regular season, won the most games, had some hugely dominant star-level talent there, Um but deciding to jump ship and help through the rebuild in Boston, which he's already got a big start on. Um, Rocky's sitting in an email. Um, I mostly won't read the email, not as any offense to Rocky, but literally because it says exactly the same things uh, that we were going to talk about anyway in the on that. Uh, it's like it, talking about how Boston has gone through has gone through, uh, is about to go through a rebuild, and whether Rocky can really turn them around and turn them back into a perennial contender, which, although um, although Ryan certainly had his moments of uh, of putting together talent, it never really seemed to come all together for him, uh, even, even during his best seasons. So uh, what do you think about Rocky moving from one of the smallest markets to what could be potentially be one of the biggest markets in Boston if it starts winning again? Uh, we'll start with the we'll start with the Bostonian Hick. Do you trust Rocky to take the the your favorite team of your childhood and turn it into a perennial contender in the American League? Um, well, I think Rocky has the talent as a GM to do what he wants to do in a market that size. I think it won't be an instant sort of you know switch, a light switch that is. Um, I think it might take a few years for him to get there, but I mean he's got the you know, the financial discipline from being in Milwaukee to take that and transfer it to Boston. I mean, I think that could be really beneficial for him being there for so long. So I, I think that would be a benefit for him. I think it could work. 
Yeah, I mean, Rocky has done a lot with a little down there in Milwaukee. Um, I especially love his talent as a drafter. He can draft guys that I don't necessarily think are all that great or look at all that much. And then you look like four or five years later, and they're some of the best players in that particular draft. Uh, Certainly that sort of ability to draft potential building blocks in Milwaukee was essential to him really building up that team because he doesn't have the money to go out free to see and get guys, but that's really changed in Boston. And I think um, with a guy like Rocky, although, you know, a a very fierce trade negotiator in the times I've had and the times I've had to negotiate trades with him. um, I think he's got the right kind of mentality and the right kind of drafting ability to succeed in Boston. Uh, GB, what do you think? I think he's one of the best GMs in the league. And, uh, I've talked to him a lot through PC and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, he just wanted wanted a team with a bigger market. He's always been a smaller market team throughout mobile for him, he said. And uh, he just wants to change it up and keep some of those really good players that he can draft. And I think, you know, within five years, he's going to be, he's going to be here to stay. It's going to be, he's going to be one of the better teams at Yale for, for a long time. Yeah, I mean, you're looking at a situation in the AL East where you've got Toronto sort of right at the edge of maybe potentially having to rebuild. You had a Baltimore team last year that exceeded expectations, but is about to switch to a brand-new general manager in Toshi uh, from from Hans, and who knows how that transition is going to work out. Uh, with all due respect to Toshi, even if you're a really good general manager, it can be very, very difficult to – uh, to deal with the core of a team that someone else put there. Um, you've got Tampa Bay with Steel third, but you never know, like, at what he's who's really done, I think, his some of his best work in the last couple of years. But you never know exactly when sometimes the market financial constraints will really catch up with you, even in, in Tampa Bay, the smallest market in, in the league. And you've got New York, who's – Got a ton of he still has a ton of talent there, but really some a div, but really has overspent the last few seasons and has really started to pay for it. You never know when their finances are going to completely catch up with them. So I think Rocky has had a very good opportunity, to even potentially turn this thing around right right away. But I can understand, especially with a weak core on the hitting side, why he'd want to slow down and rebuild and make sure that he has the talent there to sustain that run over the next few years. Um, this question can go to either of you. Do you agree with um, Rocky's strategy to trade the star talent, this, the few big pieces he has on Boston, and rebuild as opposed to going out and trying to spend money and trying to win the AL East right away? I I think that he's making the right move because he wants his guys in there, and he has a certain guy that he – or a certain – attribute that he looks for in a lot of his players. And why not do that? I mean, make do it the right way first so you don't have to mess around and rebuild. And, and you don't have to rebuild for a long time in Boston. I mean, you never have to rebuild if you have it going really well. So um, I think he's doing it the right way. He didn't have a lot of pieces anyways. I mean, he's going to spend a lot of money this year and, you know, maybe get a wild card. I think he's doing the right thing. I, I I think he's making the right choice. Um, 
you know, and especially with a market like Boston, I mean, like you said, you know, it, it is not a long rebuild because, you know, you find your four pieces and then all of a sudden you have guys that, you know, it's like, hey, let's go sign that guy for, you know, $15 million. You know, it's just like it's not a, it's not a deal breaker. And, I mean, the payroll budget at this moment for them is $137 million, and that's with a 73 fan loyalty. So, I mean, that budget is well, – they get well performed, so I'm, uh, I'm not too worried about his, you know – choices going forward of either having to draft or sign players. Uh, I know that I was in sort of a similar position when I took over the Mets as to whether or not I would trade some of the key pieces or rebuild. Uh, I decided to go for it, but first, but hold on. Slow your roll. Slow your roll. This is what's called an analogy, people. Uh, all right. Uh, first of all, I had a much bigger market to work with because although Boston should be on the level of New York because it's the fan loyalty is a lot lower. It wasn't. And um, so that was one major consideration. I had a lot more room to, to really spend money and change things. And uh, also I think with all due respect to myself, Rocky is a much better drafter than me, or at least has drafted many more like big impact players. Um, so I think him trusting in his ability to, to go forth the draft, something that I can't really do as much, makes this decision an easy one, I think, in my mind, to sort of rebuild. And he's already traded, like, the key pieces he had already with this probably biggest two superstars, which are, were Marks and Messer, um, and also letting Diazzo walk as a type A free agent. So I, I think he's made the easy call, and I think with the deals he got for those guys – it's going to pay off for him in the long run to get that young minor league talent coming in and really rebuilding now. So you've got to set it. He doesn't have to rebuild again. There we go. Yep. Um, Gee, I'm impressed that you didn't talk about your championship more when, with that turnaround. I am. That's good. (laughs) People can already kiss my rings. I don't, I don't need to bring it up anymore. Um, Wow. You brought it up and then so, you put it down. Uh, all right. <laughs> hey, you started it. Uh, let's let uh, let's also talk about the um, let's also talk about uh, Toshi coming in there to Baltimore. Um, let's see Toshi coming in. I've never like dealt with him before. Uh, he's apparently well known to at least a few people in this league. Have any of you guys been in a league with him before? And if so, can you shed your light, some light on his style and what he might bring to Baltimore? I have not. I was, uh, I was maybe going to be at one point because Hokey was always trying to pressure me to join other leagues, you know, because he is awesome like that and has like nine leagues at a time. Um, so I was looking at joining one and I was talking to Toshi a little bit, but I've never actually worked um, or been in a league with him. Uh, GB, you haven't been in a league with him either? No. There's one hell of a segment, guys. Uh, yeah. Now let's move well, on. You should have done your scouting better on who was in the league with him. Toshi, yeah. good luck. Uh, we're counting on you. Bring, bring, uh, bring great prosperity to my former team. Um, I think you'll do a good job. Uh, but let's. You already know uh, in the one conversation I had with you in the chat. You know that dice is useless in mogul, so that, that's a good sign. Gee, I'll say this. I, I went on the Hokies League to that for a little bit, and I think he mm-hmm. likes the video games. That's all I got. That's all I got. Or this is, this like is the kind of 
this is the kind of hard-hitting <laughs> investigative journalism this podcast brings to the table. Uh, let's also talk about the return of uh, my former partner in crime on the podcast who needs to come back on another one, and that's Matty uh, becoming Jason's latest in his line of co-GMs. Uh, and already really starting to make an and already really starting to make an impact at some of the trades that he's dealt with. Uh, we have an email from Maddie, uh, which I will kind of read. Uh, one, he asked two questions. One, how has your life been impacted since my departure? Explain the pure utter joy upon realizing of my return, because I'm a Truly great. I know you could fill an entire pod talking about <laughs> this one topic, but please keep it under 30 minutes. Ha, just joking, on to the real question. Um, guys, uh, let's just keep it to one word. Um, Hick, in one word, explain your reaction to Maddie's grand return to FCM. I'm surprised. <laughs> Not a word. GB, I... uh, what, what word would you, you use? Um, I would say I'm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm speechless. Speechless. That's a word. And I would say I am unflabbergasted, if that's a thing. You and your. So we're all just making up words. Speechless Whatever. is a word. I've looked it up. I know speechless is a word. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So the other question he asked about is, uh, what do you think of the Cubs' off-season improvements? Brought up some of the free agents that they've signed: Lyle Woodcock, Alan Williamson, Giovanni Demidies, Aaron Pittman, etc. Um, as well as some of the trades, some of the big names he brought in: the corpse of Horacio Aguilar, as well as Rick Pickle, Grant McNatt, and George Marks. So there are some really key big names coming in here with the Cubs. The question is, as always, when it, when always, when you're bringing in all this talent, what does it ultimately add up to? And do you really see um, the Cubs making a major impact in the NL Central this season? Uh, what do you think, Hick? Um, well, I'll answer your second question first, which is, do I think he'll make an impact? I think he could. I mean, the NL Central is not as whole-wide difficult as it has been. I think Pittsburgh made improvements, but I think as a whole, you know, it's basically Milwaukee, and then anybody else basically has a chance at the second spot in that division. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so I, I don't, I don't think they don't have a chance. If that makes sense. Oh yes, thank you. You got you. <laughs> you are master of the Dan Deardorff triple negative. Um, so, uh, well, <laughs> to credit Bill Simmons for making me realize that and just ruining Dan Deardorff's commentary for. <laughs> Oh, eternity. Dan Deardorff, uh, by the way, is the commentator <laughs> for University of Michigan football now, so share your mouth. Anyways. <laughs> well, there you go. I can't say I'm not surprised by that. Uh, I need another negative in there. Uh, mm-hmm. So, GB, what uh, what do you think of these new-look Cubs? Uh, Hicks seems to think that they're right in the contention along with Cincinnati Pittsburgh and St. Louis for second place in that division. Do you think that might be too much to ask, or do you think that they have enough talent to to do that? I think it's too much to ask because um, on the hitting side of things, um, they have Pickle, who I'm a fan of. Um, yes, understand you were you were once the uh, you were once the uh, general manager of uh, Mr. Pickle. Yes, Mr. Dill Pickle was a fan favorite in Houston, but. 
I digress. Um, I just don't, with the way mobile works, I mean, you can get lucky on it, but when you get a bunch of guys, it seems like they got, that are going to be in their lineup that are young, like first, second year guys, a lot of them really struggle out the gate. You know, you got those, those cats that will hit really well right out of the bat, but, uh, I think that his lineup's really going to struggle this year. And I think Milwaukee and Cincinnati will be one and two one way or another in that division. And and they just kind of traded a lot of their future for, you know, being relative for the next couple of years. So that's what I have to say about that. Yeah. Um, I would say that, uh, I would say that honestly, uh, you're you're right with some of these like young guys that are going to be called up. Some of the names they talked about being called up like later in the email: Scott Leduc, Jeremy Gladthorne, uh, Thomas Sullivan, Lewis Henshaws. Like I agree that especially I find it a little more with pitching than hitting, but it does seem like first year guys, even if they're in their quote unquote peak years, will get nerfed by Mogul. Uh, it does take sometimes sometimes just a little bit of time for them, for whatever reason, to get adjusted to the major leagues. Um, it's very tough to go from just throwing a bunch of young guys up there. But that being said, they, adding guys like uh, – adding like more experienced guys like Pickle and McNatt and Marks um, should mean that I think that they have a legitimate chance for second place over Cincinnati, who – sort of watch there who again Cincinnati has a lot of star talent but does not have a ton of depth and just lost their cleanup hitter to both old age and like high salary. Uh who is a cub and now Aguilar, Yeah, who's a cub now. Um yeah. and that and not having Aguilar in the middle of that lineup really does hurt Cincinnati's chances because their offense was a huge part of the reason that that team was successful. Um I think without like that you know, top of the National League caliber offense, they're going to have a much harder time. Um, I think that maybe a wild card spot isn't out of the question, but it's going to be a tough task. I think even Matt, I think Maddie and Jason are preparing for really a run next year, more so than this year. And even most of the guys they picked up outside of Aguilar should still be good next year. Um, along with you know guys like Gladthorne and other guys being called up from their minor league system. Well, all right then. Yeah, I just actually took another quick look at uh, Cincinnati and their pitching. Their starting rotation is just spectacular, one through four. Um, number five is good, but you know not to the same degree. Uh, but at the same time, you know the, their lineup is not as good as it was, obviously. So I, I do think they actually might have an edge over. Uh, over Pittsburgh and then Chicago, but uh, that'll be, I think, a fairly close race. Yep, should be should be a very interesting race. We'll talk about it a little more. We make our predictions at the end of, at the end of the podcast, but that should deal with all the uh, new imports into the league. Let's talk about the new imports into teams by talking about uh, free agency. Now, free agency brought us maybe the best <laughs> maybe the best player ever to fall into free agency with Graham Carew, uh, still still like performing at an absolutely electric level and ultimately 
somehow not going to the New York Mets and their gigantic pile of money because Houston, for whatever reason, uh, found all the SMU boosters and suddenly came up it. with $43 million a season. Yes, yes, you absolutely did call that by saying High Heat was going to back up the Brinks truck for, uh, for Graham Carew. Um, huge, huge money deal. Six years, over $40 million a season. Uh, we haven't seen a deal that big in free agency in at least a couple of years. I think the last one along that level was, was during the season where both Chris Duggar and Jorge Vender were free agents. Um, so that's very interesting to see the return of that big deal. But I think some other deals uh, maybe didn't get – maybe some other deals also need attention as well. So we'll start with you, GB, this time. Uh, what did you think were some of the deals in free agency that you really liked? Well, I must say, in all honesty, that I didn't really pay much attention to this part of the run sheet. So, I didn't put <laughs> much effort into it. But, I will say, and I, I try not to toot your own horn, G, because I just don't like to make you happy, but I think you did well with Duggar. Um, just because of the situation, uh, your finances, and you're wanting to win now. Um, I think it's a good deal. You, I think you really need it. Needed him in your rotation to really keep steady in that uh, tough division you're in. So I think you know, with a short-term deal, a big-time need in, in on your team, and not really hurting your finances. I think that's a good deal. Yeah, I mean, Duggar was ultimately signed to a $16 million a year deal for three seasons. Um, I've always been a fan of Duggar more so as a starter than back in his reliever days with Seattle. I think, um, although his control isn't great, and I don't view him as an ace caliber pitcher anymore, he's definitely at least going to slot in behind Baber and Lawrence and give me some really strong innings. Uh, I thought my major weakness in the rotation last year was Sendon as a number five starter. He now moves to the bullpen. Uh, where I think he'll be more effective. Uh, I think Sendon's like, lack of a really good fastball really kind of caught up with him in the last few seasons when he's right with some of the ratings drops. And I think Duggar still holding that 93 rating, even in his old age, uh, might give my uh, pitching a little more like strikeout power, uh, relying a little less on the defense, which although my infield defense was really strong last year, um, it sometimes helps to have pitchers that can just get outs on their own. And I think Duggar is one of those guys. Um, thank you for, thank you for ultimately praising me, even though you've, even though uh, despite your, uh, despite your misgivings with the idea, uh, Hick, what do you think were, what did you, what free agent deals did you like? Well, most of the ones that I, you know, they were, you know, good players signed for big money deals or big-ish money deals, at least by my standards. Um, so there weren't any huge ones that I liked. Most of the ones that I usually look at are like the $1 million deals. And one of them that I noticed was uh, uh, Nate Bergheim, which I had on one of my teams once upon a time, uh, signed a $1 million deal and he's a potentially 30 home run hitter. I mean, he's mostly a one-tool player, but, you know, he's a, it's a, it's a good, good pickup, I think. You know, there are guys to be had out there. And I think, that if you want to, you know, put them in your lineup, they can help you out. Um, that's really the only one that I really noticed. I wasn't skimming to, I, I was basically skimming. I wasn't looking too detailed into those uh, small money players. All right. I'm going to reference a couple of players that I really just 
like it, it makes sense that I like other teams signing players that I've once general managed because, you know, obviously I see something in that player if they would once yeah. been on my team. And I'm going to mention two of those type of guys, one to a slightly bigger deal and one to a slightly smaller deal. I think one deal that was very smart for Kansas City was signing Gil Orego to a one-year deal. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, GB, also uh, also a former Orego fan, uh I think Orego is a very, very solid player. He's not going to do a ton with the bat, but he's also not going to embarrass himself and leave you with a total zero coming out of that side of the ball. Um, what we've actually seen from Orego is although he took some drops from his peak, his rating is held relatively steady at an 81. And one of the few reasons I comped him was to really get back a pick because I plan on sort of trading my picks this year to get a star player, which ended up happening. Um, and and I really love Dorego. If you look at his defense last year, granted, those DRAA numbers can be straightly skewed by the fact that my pitching staff is basically a bowling team, and almost all of them have high ground ball rates. But still, even considering that, five wins um, in, 40, in 40, what was it, like 47 runs above average at shortstop is incredibly impressive. He is a dynamic defensive player. Um, and I think someone that's really going to help that team in Kansas City and will buy him a couple of years before Towson comes up. And he even said that he might comp him again if his rating holds. So he might be a guy that I try to sign back next year. I certainly took a downgrade signing Sizemore to that position and now playing Otto Davis. I think Orgo, Orego is a very, very impressive player. And another guy that I thought was signed to a deal way below – his actual productive value was GB signing of Paul Audley. Now, Audley was part of the reason I think my offense really surprised me last year because he put up better numbers than I would have expected, got some of his home run spark back that seemed to be missing in his last year with Seattle. And I think, although although you're probably going to deal with a ratings drop at some point during the year, uh, GB has a lot of impressive hitters there. And honestly, um, if one of them goes down, Audley can really fill in a DH or first base and give him some quality numbers that he probably wouldn't be able to get from a typical reserve. And I think that on base percentage and that power can really still um, can really still impact the lineup. And I think getting him on a really just one-year flyer kind of deal was really smart general managing by UGB. Thanks, sir. Uh, I. He does fill the role he's going to hit against the lefties, uh, probably regular, regularly, and um, he's he's the um, emergency situation if one of my big bats go down. I think he could fill out for a few months and be pretty good, actually. So, kind of on the same wavelength. Yeah, um, I think that uh, I honestly think that uh, we would. I honestly think that that team is just that 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 oddly might surprise you. I was expecting to use him as a lefty platoon guy, but I ended up using him mostly full time in New York um, because of the production he was giving me. And I think you could be pleasantly surprised. I hope you don't have to use him too often because he's getting older. But as a as a fill in, you could probably not find a better guy to fill in at that first base or DH slot um, than a future Hall of Famer like him. What I'll say is uh, that free agency always brings this, like, share of bad deals. Like, most of the deals you sign in free agency are 
are a case of buyer's remorse. But are there any that stuck out to you particularly this year, GB, as really bad deals for the team signing them? I really didn't see – I didn't look a whole lot, honestly, but I didn't really see anything horrible. I'm guessing there's a starting pitching deal out there that's probably four or five years. That's shitty, but I didn't really look at it. So I'm just going to let you two cats talk about it, and I will listen. Way to wuss out. Thanks. Okay. Uh, Hick, what about you? Uh, are you going to throw some shade someone's way? Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, I hate doing this. Uh, well, first of all, this one that makes me kind of scratch my head, which is uh, Williamson to Chicago. Um, this is a guy. Oh, that, uh, yeah, you, you, you targeted exactly the one I was going to talk about, but go ahead. But this is a guy that I didn't even offer a contract in arbitration. The guy was asking for like $2.5 million. I didn't even have a spot for him on my team or in my budget. The guy ends up making a $40 million deal. And I was actively trying to trade him the last like a year and a half. So I, I well, the last year because I was only there last year. So, I mean, there were so many options for him to go somewhere cheaply. And he ends up getting that huge deal. Obviously, Matty's going to have a plan with him. Um, and then the other one I didn't like is uh, Carew. Um, great player. Awesome player. Probably best player in free agency. But he went to Houston. It's the only guy Houston signed in free agency. And what was that? He signed uh, Lamalita from St. Louis. Oh, I missed that. Um, but in any case, uh, signs a uh, what is it, forty-two million dollars for five, for six years or something like that. And the guy's thirty-five years old. This is a rebuilding team, so I don't know. <laughs> that just doesn't really fit for me. Yeah, um, I think the two that really jumped out at me, and I'll admit, I'll admit to not looking at this. Um, uh, super duper closely, but I thought one of the names that really didn't impress me was uh, Masahade Rin. Although although he's relatively young and maybe wasn't in a great situation in Houston, um, that's a lot of money to spend for a guy that really hasn't succeeded in a full season yet. Even struggled out of the bullpen when he was used in Houston. Um, his vitals aren't great. Um, there's some things to like there, but um, you know, guaranteeing uh, seven mil over four, seven and a half mil a year over four years for a guy that really hasn't produced yet, I think is a very, very dangerous move by Kansas City. Oh, well, I drafted him, so good job, Mike. But damn, <laughs> yeah, it, that's a lot of money. And the other guy that came that came to mind was Williamson. I, I think Carew probably did get too much money, as evidenced by the fact that. Even I wasn't willing to bid up higher, and I basically have bricks of money fall on me on a constant basis in New York. But um, I think Carew still hadn't shown any real signs of aging yet, so you could justify a six-year deal. I don't know if it necessarily is the best fit for Houston, but I think the I think Williamson is a bigger problem. Now, if he was only wanted 2.5 in ARB, I probably would have kept him on your team, Hick. But Williamson is not really, in my mind, a starting caliber center fielder. At least on a really good team, he's not. Um, he's not even a backup. I, think, I had him uh, in AAA for half of last year. I think he is sort of the backup caliber guy. I like the fact that he switch hits, and he does play decent defense, but let's look at the problems here. He does hit for average, but doesn't really get on base all that often. And although his speed rating looks good, 
he's really not a guy who's going to steal you more than 10 bases a year. I know Andy was a big fan of Williamson and traded quite a bit for him not too long ago, but I do not think he's produced like the kind of guy that's worthy of a $10 million contract. I think he's a great guy to have on your organization as a backup, but I do not think that he's really a solution as a starter full-time in center field. Um, I don't think he's much beyond the level of a guy like Julian Ruse, a guy that I signed for a million dollars last year, and I'm pretty flabbergasted that he would get ten million, uh, ten million uh, this year, uh, and especially on not even like a one-year deal, but a long-term deal. I think that's just way too much money to spend on it. Yeah, I mean, we agree on that. Uh, now that you're looking, do you, uh, what do you think, GB? Um, yeah, I think Williamson is a bad deal. Um, I think the Asian guy that you're talking about, 2G, that's a bad deal as well. Um, but Mike is a magical man. The Asian guy? Really? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the Asian guy. Um... Classic some nice Midwestern racism from you. Really good. As, as Matty says, Asian pitchers they just don't do well in mobile, and <laughs> and uh, really he's just maybe averageish guy that you could you could probably get that kind of production out of a dude that you picked up for a million dollars in fantasy or something like that. Honestly. Yeah, I think it's much more – I think the lesson here in my mind, at least from the way I interpreted free agency, is I'd rather overpay for a guy that at least has shown to be an elite talent than overpay for the type of guy – or it's it's maybe much better to spend like $40 a year on a guy worth, you know, more like $20 a year than it is to spend $10 a year on a guy that you can get for one. And I think that the one or two, I think that those sort of deals really hamstring you much more than the big superstar deals, because, you know, at least you've got that caliber of player to build around and you can maybe, I don't know, cut some corners or um, cut some corners in order to fit together the rest of the team, um, as opposed to not getting impactful talent for the price for like an impact talent price. Agreed, so we, yeah. So we can move on from free agency and now talk about the flurry of goddamn fucking trades that have happened in this free agency. Oh, I have never seen this many, this many huge trades in an off season. And is this just me, or was this like the season of the trade? It was ridiculous. A lot of, I mean, it's awesome for the league because it, you know, just everyone is involved and everything like that, blah, blah, blah. But it's it was crazy this year, which is good. So I hated it doing the run sheet. That was awful. But, I mean, oh, yeah. it was good. Yeah, it gave me a headache, which is, which, again, we have talked about enough. But I think that we have nine trades to talk about, and I think we really need to start with the one that, was breaking news as I was about to start the podcast. Thank you for this, Rocky. And that was the trade of George Marks going to uh, Chicago. I think this was really the move that Chicago was looking for from the very beginning. Uh, But 
I'm going to say that this is not the situation of an ace being traded away for nothing because they paid a pretty significant price with two very good pitching prospects, Jason Wade and John Well Jones. I don't know how to pronounce that. Genuel? Uh, we're going with John Well. He's French. And uh, the Cincinnati first-rounder and the Chicago third-rounder in exchange for Marks, a fifth to six and $3 million in cash. Uh, talked about a lot of back and forth negotiating. Not a surprise considering it's a rocky trade negotiation, uh, both literally and figuratively. But uh, this is – we've seen big prices for, for an ace before, but I don't think I've ever seen a trade where there look like two very, very impactful pitching prospects uh, that, are rel- that are not too far away from the major leagues getting traded. Uh, in such a deal. So this is a very much interesting take on that ace deal. I've always talked about it's very difficult to, it, that it's almost impossible to trade for us to overpay for a star player, especially a star pitcher. But I, it, this is different from the other deals we've seen in FCM for star pitchers before, in, at least in my mind. Uh, Hick, what do you think of this deal? And who do you think will ultimately win this deal? To be honest, I haven't looked a whole lot at that. I've been preparing for the pod, and I only ever heard about it in the last few minutes, so uh, I can't really say much about it. Um, I do worry about Chicago's payroll, though, because, I mean, before that trade, their payroll was something like, their projected profit or whatever it was was going to be like a 20-something million dollar loss, and adding a $20 million contract is not going to help. But, uh, again, they're going going for broke, basically, so literally. Um, So, yeah, it'll be definitely an improvement for Chicago, and I think that even – there's their chance. Um, so, yeah, I mean, players-wise, great, but financially, maybe not. Yeah, I mean, George Marks, I think, is one of the best pitchers in the file. I, I don't know if I would call him the best. Um, I think he's maybe, like, maybe not in that absolute first-tiered super impact star pitchers, but definitely a, a really good number one starter. Um and if the worst you can say about him is he's not Carew or Russell or McLewis, that's not really an insult. But there are some pitcher prospects going over in that deal that look like they could be that type of pitcher as well. GB, maybe you had a little more time to look at this deal. What do you think about this for both Chicago and Boston? I looked at it pretty pretty well. Um, I think Rocky got about as good of a deal as he could get. I mean, the big thing in this league – is when people put out elite talent available, you just assume that there's all kinds of people that are off wanting him and offering bids and bids and bids and bids. In reality, if you put out an elite guy, you might get two or three bids, and you have to look at it from there, and if there's nothing you want, then you, you go on. But uh, I think that they got a really good deal for him. I think Jones can be a you know, a low-end one to a high two. I think Wade could be a really good three. Then he has his picks, and he's a good drafter. So um, I think Rocky got about as good of a deal as he could possibly get. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree that this is a win-win for both sides. Um, Yeah, the financial issues on Chicago might be significant at some point, but I think for a guy like George Marks, you sort of just – you sort of throw out the checkbook and just do what you need to do. Uh, Marks is a very, very good player. He's still young, which is very important, hasn't shown very many sides of aging. Um, And I think 
is exactly the kind of guy that Chicago needs to take them from sort of a pseudo contender to really a team that you're going to have to take seriously in that NL Central. Now, in terms of what Rocky got back, especially considering how late we were in the offseason and how many contending teams had already traded their picks or traded their top prospects, he gets a pretty good haul here. Um, Jones especially looks like pretty much as close to a can't-miss prospect as you can get, considering how developed his vitals are and his age. Uh, the fact that, his, that they're that developed at only 19 years old that his control is already well ahead of his overall, and that his movement is no slouch either. Um, He doesn't have a great fastball, which is what you'd worry about, that he might be on the high home run side of things because of that. Uh, But I I think there's an outside chance that Jones might be as good or better than Marks one day. And that's that's a pretty high compliment. Um, Sorry. What? (laughs) It's a yeah, joke, probably. Looking uh, at Jones, I mean, also look at his endurance and look at his health. Those are both fairly low, which means the ceiling is even higher than what he could be if those were both high. Um, and, mm-hmm. I mean, th- th- that's the kind of guy that you you trade for. You know, if you're looking for, you know, close to major league level prospects, I mean, he's he's it. You know, especially because his movement moves more towards, um, moves more when you're a pitching prospect than anything else. So, I mean, he could be, you know, a 97-90 sort of pitcher, which is terrifying, you know? Right. Um, Not to mention with Wade, I think uh, GB, saying with a number three starter is probably about where he'll end up on a really, really good team. But that he looks pretty good to me, too. There, uh, I know we... I know I may not have taken him over some of the other higher ceiling guys on the day he was drafted. I remember having that conversation. But still a very good player in and of himself. And a first-round pick that, although it isn't a great draft, I do like the hitting in this. So maybe adding a hitter around pick 20 with those two pitching prospects, and I think you're getting back relatively good value as well as shedding some payroll because I know one of Rocky's first moves in Boston is going to be to build a stadium. and it's going to be very difficult to do that if there if there's a lot of those high salary guys like Marks there still around. Uh, I think um, it, it's probable Chicago got the best player in this deal, but this is as close to a win-win as you're going to see for a superstar player uh, for a deal that you're going to see in this league. Yeah. So. Let's move on and talk about the deals that we actually were scheduled to to talk about on the podcast because, goddamn. Um, we'll start out with the, the – I can't, we can't hear you very well. There yeah, you. you're underwater right now. Okay. Much better. You're good. Do, I, do I sound better now? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I have to thank Metro POS for my terrible service. Uh, let's – Let's talk about the three-way menage trade between Chicago, uh, the other Chicago, and Texas. Um, the Cubs pick up Grant McNatt, I think a very underrated pitcher from Chicago, as well as Kareem Kentora, a prospect and some cash. Uh, the Texas Rangers pick up Chicago's entire draft and three prospects from te- and three prospects from the Cubs. But the best player in this deal is Todd Keel going to the White Sox. Now, uh, 
pairing Todd Keel with uh, pairing pairing uh, Todd Keel with another great player uh, like uh, Horton could be uh, could really mean that we have a that 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 JHC is going to finally turn around that offense. But this is a huge price to pay for for a guy that in my mind is pretty much a DH. So what do you think of this deal in the context of all three teams involved? I think I would concentrate less so on the Cubs because I think they're just sort of tangential to this deal as opposed to like the White Sox and the Rangers. But uh, GB, what do you think of this deal overall? You know, I looked at it briefly um, for a second, and I was like, you know, Warpriest got a great, great deal for uh, for Keel. And I looked at it a little harder. I looked at the prospects and everything, and I think he did okay. I think he, I mean, he didn't get a great deal. Um, just because uh, people like to say draft class, that's a great thing. You know, really, after three through six, that's not a great, great, you know, you better be a good draft. You're going to get some players there. And the prospects you got, Galloway could be solid. The other two guys are kind of they're, they're okay. Um, but he got a good deal. Um, nothing great, I think. Um, Cubs were okay. They they had they were solid. Um, nothing really hit or miss on there. And then uh, the White Sox, you know. It's on, ooh, what is this drink? Oh, Jane Barker. Um, the, uh, <laughs> the White Sox, yeah, Keel. I mean, you know, it's, it's he's going to hit in that park. He's going to hit 40 bombs at 40 bombs a year, you know, 35, 40. So, uh, you know, they're going for it. So you can't blame him for that. Um, kind of sucks for me. I'd rather him not at talent right now, but uh, I think it's kind of just solid for everyone. Nothing fantastic. It's just going to have how the players play out. There's a clarification on the uh, on the deal. One through three were for Keel, and four through six were for cash for the picks. Okay. All right. That makes that makes some sense. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I couldn't go through all the details of the deal just because the deal is massive, and I think it, I think this was the deal that made that made Andy punch those poor defenseless kittens, um, or, or or so he claimed. Uh, Hick, what do you think of this deal? Uh, do you think that this is a fair price for Keel? I do. I mean, you know, when you look at his, you know, his medals, it's like, oh, yeah, this guy should hit, like, you know, 280 and hit, you know, 30, 40 home runs, stuff like that. But, I mean, he's never been a contact hitter. You know, his career high average was 285, and that was – his second year in the league, first full year it looks like, um, he's going to hit you know 260 and he's going to hit 30 plus home runs. So that's definitely production there. But you know he's not the superstar that you'd want for a, a 94, you know overall. Um, and again, he doesn't play defense really. Um, I mean he's got an arm, but I mean if you look at you know the fielding ratings, it's nothing spectacular. You know, so um, I mean overall the trade is you know there, there was no clear win about that. I don't think there was any losers to this one either. It was a very balanced trade and not not a huge one like a you know three team blockbuster should be, but I mean it was it was good, you know. It was it was good all around. I'll say this to you. Yeah. Um off I forgot McNatt in the deal going to the Cubs. I, I agree with you. I think he's underrated as well. I think he's he's a 
I think he's a good three. He could be a solid three on a, you know, a team trying to get the playoffs. Um, not on an elite staff, but uh, I think I think he could really be a good good score for the Cubs. Even though I mean they're in hitters park too, so we'll see how he does there. But I mean that's a good underscore for uh, for Jason and Mister Matty Noakes. Yeah, I would actually lean towards the winning team in this deal being Texas. Now, I understand why JT made this move. I think he needed an impact bat in the middle of that offense in addition to Horton, and uh, Teal can hit. There's no way around that. He is a very, very good at, at both. Like, maybe not an elite contact hitter, but he draws walks, and he gets and he hits for power, and is mm-hmm. been fairly consistent over the last few years. The big issue with Keel, in my mind, is you're limited to him at first base. If he could legitimately play third, I could understand this deal a bit more. Um, now, uh, the issue with Keel is he, he, in the few times he's been played at third base, he has been an absolute disaster. Uh, an 885 fielding percentage in 319 games there. So I would strongly avoid playing him there, JHC. Hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Don't do yeah, him. Um, and- Look, the last time he played third base was for Texas in 2052. He's got a 948 fielding percentage. 948. That's bad. He is, apparently, JHC is playing wheel, wheel leaf there, which is good. I think the other real issue with Keel more and beyond that is the fact that this is the final year of his deal. And it's very possible that, you're, that JHC is giving this up for one year of Keel and is, may be only be able to get back um, – like the type A compensation. I suspect he will be re-signed, but if let's say Keel has one of those transcendent years that jacks up the mogul asking price to some absurd amount, it might be tough to keep him. That was part of the reason why a guy like Graham Carew, who is indispensable to Hokie, ends up in free agency. Because you're in the position where he's too important to your team to trade, but you also can't really re-sign him. So this is a, risk. He will be this is a very... Okay, this is a very, <laughs> very swing-for-the-fences kind of deal here. And it's easy to say he's going to be resigned now, but if he has 25 home runs from July and is asking for $40 million a year, uh, which we've seen Mogul do before, uh, might be another story. I think this deal is a pretty big risk, and he is giving up a lot. And a guy like McNatt, who I think is a really important part of the rotation, as well as an entire draft. So um, I I understand why GHC made this move. He needed to respond to some of the moves you made, GB, and I wouldn't call it a bad move for him, but this is exactly the kind of move that Texas should have made. Um, Really starting to amp up that rebuild there and get a new sort of influx of talent in Texas. I don't think this sort of in-between contending that War Priest was doing was really working, and I think all of these picks get him off to a great start. Um, Do you like the prospects? going to Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of the prospects in the deal, um, I think the uh, he gets back uh, Leon. He gets back Leon Wilkinson here, uh, who I who I actually traded for from him in the first place. Who I think has quite a bit of potential. Um, uh, I think to be a long reliever. I think he can be better than a long reliever. I think he can actually crack into a rotation. Um, yes, he's kind of on the older side of things, but, uh, on the older side of things, but I still think he is a very, very, uh, 
he is potentially a very, very good player. Um, I think the other guy, the other guy's really in that deal. I'm trying to look them up, really, as we speak here. Um, because I don't have the actual file. I don't have the actual file up there yet. But to clarify more on Wilkinson, he has pretty solid vitals. There's, and, there's Galloway. Galloway's kind of the headliner. Um, yeah, I think Galloway's probably the best. Galloway's probably the best player in yeah, the deal. Yeah, he could be the um, guy. Yeah, he's got. He's, he's, he's probably not going to be a great hitter, but he's going to hit for contact and looks to profile, in my mind, as like a number two hitter that plays okay defense. But again, not really a superstar. I think he's making this deal for the picks more than anything. Um, like all of those prospects are relatively old for how they've developed is part of the problem. Uh, but um, this is – but I think this is the – one of the best deals that Texas could get. I think JHC yeah. even said, said this herself. He would have paid for uh, he would have paid for um, uh, uh, paid this for a Hearn if he knew that he could. Uh, already taking a sh- already taking shots fired for the next deal we're going to talk about, uh, which is Detroit and Oakland. All right. So there is so Hick has been beaten like a scaldy dog in the chat for this deal for trading uh for trading uh the phenomenal Bart Ahern to Detroit along with Sean Palm and two picks in exchange for the first round pick of both Detroit and New York, Adam Harford, uh my setup man last year, and Joe Smith. This deal was uh I think lambasted in the chat. Um, but we have the two owners that were part of this deal on the, we have two owners that were part of this deal in the chat. I will try my best to be as unbiased as possible without causing someone to hang up on this call. Um, so, uh, GB, why were you going after a Hearn? What do you see in him? And why did you think this deal was good for you? Um, I, my huge hole in my lineup was second base. Plus, I needed a leadoff hitter because I did not have a true leadoff, leadoff hitter in my lineup. So, to knock out two two of those with with one player was great. I mean, he's he's an elite player. Um, he steals a lot of bases, hits for average, gets on base, solid defensively, um, young, um, fits my timetable. There's really nothing that I mean, he's a perfect fit for my team, so that's that's pretty much it in a nutshell. I mean, he's he is the guy for my lineup. He's the one guy. Him, I went after Ernst from Seattle. Um, didn't get that far there, so uh, I mean, really, Ahern was the guy that I was really going after. So, uh, Hick, uh, what made you want to make this deal? All right, well, I don't think anything I say is going to really matter to most of the people out there. And, um, you know, I'm not the world's greatest GM, so, I mean, I'm going to make trades that, you know, I'm probably going to lose that, and it looks like this is one of them. But, I mean, you know, a lot of people that have been talking about it, you know, they they uh, are not saying gentle things, let's put it that way. Um, but, I mean, you know, when, when I was first looking at what I had for this season and to what I needed and to what I didn't need, um, one thing that became obvious to me was that with the impending Arcelius, um coming to the majors finally, because he could have come up last year, it's just there wasn't really a spot for him, um, it created an opening. Um, and so I'm just like, okay, let's see 
let's test the waters on this. And so I put up a trade block on the, the 10th. Well, I updated it. I'm always updating and then refreshing, basically. Um, and so it's one of those things. It's like, all right, I'm going to see what's up. And I put up it up in the, in the top of the trade block. I said updated 410, and it said big names added. So, I mean, I don't know how many, how much more clear it could have been about having the uh, him being available, so to speak, and him and others. Um, and I got... I got some offers from people on other people and they were all low balls. I don't know if that says something about me or something about their offers, but I got some pretty terrible offers for other people. So if I, you know, if I went with this one, you know, what does that say about the others? So, um, you know, I got what I needed in this trade. I think I, you know, people are going to disagree with me, but I mean, I have two very good um, players right now. I've got a reliever that I needed. I've got, you know, a starting pitcher that is going to be part of the team in the next couple of years, and then two first-round picks in a farm system that is pretty barren right now, especially on the um, pitching side. You know, if you look at my prospects, there's not a whole lot going on. So, you know, and, you know, Palm, I was I was looking for, you know, places, and no one was giving me any sort of serious offers for Palm. Um, I was getting, you know, cash offers or, like, fifth and sixth-round picks. So, you know, I decided to include him in this trade. Um, but, yeah, I mean... You know, people are generally saying, you know, it's like, oh, you didn't need to rush. You didn't need to, you know, trade them right, right away. And those are probably pretty accurate comments, you know. So I guess it's one of those times where I learned not to you know, do something like this. But uh, I, I think I got what I needed without sacrificing everything, basically. You know, it's not like my lineup is horrible now. I've got a guy who can bat lead off in uh, Zulu. And then um, I'm going to have Arcelia slide right into second base. Oh, sorry, him right into third and Parker into second. So the, the lineup isn't going to suffer very much. I mean, obviously it will when you take a guy like that, but I'm not going to be, you know, rebuilding here. It's going to be just as competitive as a team, I think. So there's where I stand. Okay. Um, here are my comments on the deal. Um, I think the major problem is, with taking a Hearn out of that team, I don't think you are going to be as competitive as you were. Um, like, I yeah. think I think that, that a Hearn, like, if anyone knows like my general managing philosophy, it almost always starts in up the middle with shortstop and with shortstop and second base. That maybe if you don't have a super, if you don't have a superstar in that spot, get guys who can play defense and solidify that entire team. And if you do have a superstar in either of those spots, hold on to them kicking and screaming for as long as possible. There's a reason why even before he was like turned into like the star he was like why I kept Chad Noah on for so long and why I traded so much to get him in the first place in a deal that almost got me like that got me lambasted in the chat originally when I made it. Now I think Ahern is exactly the kind of guy that if you have him on your team, you trade only in the direst of situations. And although yes, you're going to have an issue with some guys coming up, um, coming up soon, like Arcelaris, I think you definitely jump the gun here. I would much rather have you traded Parker for very little in order to clear a spot for Arcelaris than trading Ahern for what you did. I think Ahern is the kind of guy that you don't keep around for a fair deal, which, again, I think this is on the lower side of what you could have gotten for him ultimately, even though I like some of the things that you got. You're getting – at the end of the day, you're trading a leadoff hitting – second baseman who's probably either the first or second best second baseman in the entire league 
in exchange for two back two first round picks in what doesn't look like a great draft, um, a a border like a middle of the pack closer who's young and a good, not great pitching prospect. I think this is the situation where you may have traded a dollar for four dimes or or like or like two nickels and two dimes two quarters and two dimes. I just think that Ahern is exactly the kind of player that was the glue holding that Oakland team like really solidly together. And I think losing him is going to deeply impact your chances of not only of especially winning the division, but maybe making the playoffs outright. This year? Yeah. I think to I think you're going to be like, I, I think that you'll probably make the playoffs this year, but this is putting you in much more doubt than you, already would have been. And in, in all honesty, if you were going to trade anyone in that group, um, if you couldn't get the money for Parker, I would have traded Arcelaris before I ever traded a Hearn. Yeah, let me tell you, there were some pretty terrible offers for him, though. You know, for a guy that's, you know, 86 overall right now, and he's going to be, you know, he's already just as good as Parker, and he's going to be better. Um, I was getting just nowhere with offers. Right. You know. Look, I, I can only understand that you're dealing with the market that you have here, but uh, I think that in these sort of situations, uh, for for a Hearn, hold on till even if it means burying a guy like Parker or Arcelaris in eight in AAA or on the bench longer than he needs to be, that you do that. Uh, but because this, I think this deal is honestly really going to hurt you. Uh, is is what I'll say about it. Okay, I have a question. I have a question. Yes. Real quick, it's it's kinda has talks about this, but um for middle infield defense, especially at second base, um, when you have those high, high ratings for the uh, top two, let me look at the file real quick. Um blah, 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 blah. Okay. So you have you would think fielding would be the top top notch for for uh, second baseman, right? So, like with Ernst, he has high fielding, high range, not a great arm. And Ahern has high arm, high range, not as great fielding. Would that be different for you for a shortstop? Value-wise? Uh, uh, I, mean, I think it's just pretty... Realistically, I'm looking at, like, that it would be better to have fielding for the shortstop, less arm for a second baseman, right? In, in, in Yes, in theory, if Mogul worked like actual baseball, but I'm okay. not sure it does. Exactly. Okay. Okay. All right. That's all I got. So. Yeah, I, and I think range is obviously important when you're talking about the middle infield. I think but arm is like this weird... Arm is like this weird pseudo rating that Mogul works together. I think a lot of it gets included in range. They both overlap a lot, especially when it comes to infielders, it seems. Like, most of the infielders with high range have good arms. It's almost unavoidable, especially the middle infielders. And um, fielding does matter, but it matters to nowhere near the same extent as range. I think range makes a huge difference, especially if you position your pitching staff uh, to force the ball into one part of the field or the other. Like, high-range outfielders matter way more when you have a fly ball pitching staff than when you don't. And in 
And I think especially with the infield, you need high-range infielders regardless of whether you have a fly ball or ground ball pitching staff because they just make end up making so many of the plays, uh, a much larger percentage of the plays in any part of the field. So well, then, uh, that's why, in my mind, second base and shortstop are just so critical. Well, then the question is, is field, the fielding, the rating, the fielding rating not have a direct co- correlation to errors is my question. It, it does, but it, it does have a direct correlation to errors, but it's, it's context here. Like, errors are going to be a product of, first of all, opportunities, because any player that's going to field the ball a ton of times is just naturally going to make more errors just on a per-rate basis. And the other issue is that errors aren't overly important as compared to how many plays you're making. If you're making an entire no, extra I, out I a game... That, I agree with that in, in real baseball, but does it make... Is it the same in mobile? To that extent, yes, and it's probably more critical because Mogul ends up, for whatever reason in the system, creating much more double plays and allowing – and pitchers have a much higher variance of ground ball and fly ball rates than they do in real life. So fielding just becomes naturally more important than probably right. than actual baseball. Curious. Okay. We'll talk about I'm, this in the G-Money Fielding Chronicles, uh, right. uh, the, the new book coming soon. Okay. I was actually so, just, you know, this has really nothing to do with the trade because it wasn't something I looked at. But if you're looking at fielding, um, in AL from last year, Ahern had the ninth best range factor and wasn't in the top 10 in fielding average. So his rating didn't really say much about his actual performance last year, taking nothing away from him as a player. But I mean, you know, those numbers, you know, were not, they weren't measuring up to his vitals. He's a great hitter. That's, I, have, oh, yeah. I mean, I love get, having him. My question is defensively, is he? I don't think he's a top tier defender. I think he's definitely top third, but he's not high, high end, is what I'm saying. That's, I'm just trying to figure out the middle infield defense from the czar that is G with his defensive infield. Yeah, I just. Uh... I can I can go into more detail, especially in another podcast. But we have about seven more trades in every team in baseball. To okay, talk good through. call, good call. Uh, Let's go. Let's go. Yeah, right, well, that was so, less painful than I thought it would be. <laughs> Let's move on. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to be both like harsh and deferential at the same time. Uh, let's now get to rip a trade that I made. Uh, another trade involving GB, um, the trade for Ron Austin. And Ron Austin, the defending AL MVP, uh, in a stunner of a move, see what I did there, goes to New York along with Jose Santos and Brian Albright, who I'm pretty sure GB has been trying to pawn off on me in trades for like three years now. In Not exchange for <laughs> In exchange for the, my first-round pick, Eduardo Trigueros, William Rudd, and Adam Harford, who eventually found his way to Oakland along with that first-round pick. So... Ron Austin, uh, a guy that I've coveted really since the draft, is finally um, in my possession. Uh, I I think the reasons I would make this trade are obvious. I just really like Ron Austin, and I think we needed a uh, a first baseman to really replace some of the production that Audley sort of unexpectedly had for us last year. And I think I paid a fair price to do it. Um, G, uh, GB, why did you think it was the right time to trade Austin? Um, 
I just thought his value was high at the moment. Um, I think he can. I, the thing is, I think he can do this for a few more years because um, he's in his prime, I believe. Um, he he checks off every every want that you would want in a first baseman for me, except defensively. Um, I just thought I had a lot of power in the outfield or power on the, in the lineup, and I could trade from a position of strength to where I could get a little bit of um, help in the next few years because, I, I mean, I have a team that's mid-20s, late-20s, and I'd like to boost them a little bit with some cheaper players. And I thought, I like Rudd. I think he'd be a three, probably not a three, but you know, a solid four. Um, I think Cordero's cheap, great, defensively third baseman, um, can play for me for three or four years, and we'll see what happens. And, uh, you know, those other picks were for ammo for other things I could do. And uh, I just thought I could let him go if I got a deal, which, you know what, there's not a lot of teams in this league that will give up players that are going to are projected to be good players, you know, in the future for one guy. I mean, you always get that one good player, and then I don't know. But I think you give a really fair price. He, some people have been saying that I gave up not a lot, or I didn't get as good of a value, but they didn't offer deal. So I think I think it was fair both ways. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't trying to screw you out here. I know that you can say in the trade negotiations, like, I was kicking and screaming trying to hold on to Trugueros as much as possible. I think uh, Trugueros just in, – in, I think that in the multi, in drafts I've seen defense, especially from middle infielders, declining a bit. Uh, like, you don't have those elite fielding guys that I think you used to in some previous years. And Trugueros, although I don't know if necessarily he's a second baseman or a third baseman, I think – going to lean toward the fact that I think he's a third baseman, but I'm not positive on that. Um, He reminds me a lot of Fred Major when he first came up. Maybe not an elite hitter, won't draw you a ton of walks, but he'll hit for contact and won't embarrass himself. And those kind of guys in the middle infield are got, and and even at third base, which is a very underrated fielding position in my mind, are guys that you can really covet. Um, and I did not want to give him up, but I figured I had to to get a guy the caliber of Austin, who is really since um, really going to fill the role. Yes, yes, <laughs> a player I've always liked, and really will fill the fill the role of an impact hitter and cleanup hitter that I honestly hoped Laverty would fill, but really hasn't lived up to full expectations since coming to New York. So, Hick, I just ripped you. Um, you have a chance to rip me if you feel it's prudent to. Or I'm not going to rip somebody if they didn't earn it. Um, I, I ripped people earlier, and you know I don't feel like there's anyone to rip here. That's probably the most times I've ever said that in a row. Um, but, I mean, if you look at Austin, I mean, he's the kind of impact hitter that you want in the middle of your lineup. 38 home runs the last two years, over 100 RBI. Um, OPS is over 900 both years. And if you look at his fielding stats, he's no sludge there. I mean, last year he had a 994 fielding percentage in, with 67 fielding rating. Uh, I would take that every day of the week. And a 1041 range factor, which it's hard to figure out for first baseman. But, I mean, he can field his position, too. So it's, he, despite his ratings, he is a good all-around first baseman. Again, I, don't, I, I wouldn't go as far as calling him 
Actually, I think I would. I, I would call him a great uh, first baseman. He's uh, definitely top of the class um, in that top sort of group. Um, now, as far as what you gave up, you know, those are, you know, I think they were pretty commensurate for what they should have been. Um, Harford is obviously a guy that I was interested in. Uh, Trigueros, if, you know, GB will attest to, I was interested in trading for him as well. Uh, pick 27 is going to be, you know, good. You know, it's not going to be... Um, not going to be great. Uh, now, one of those, one of mine, of course. Um, and then Rudd is actually one of the people that's been on all three of our teams at this point, so that's exciting. Um, I, I think Rudd will be good, not great. I think he'll be a useful pitcher, but I don't think he's going to be anything more than a, more than a three. Um, but uh, I think it's a fairly balanced trade. Um, you know, New York gets the impact hitter they need right now, and I think that can really, really help them stay in that, uh, that tough NL East race this year. So it's a uh, no, I don't think there's a loser in this trade, really. Yeah, I would. I was not looking to make a loser in this trade. I always uh, – GB and I, maybe it's a little difficult to trade with him because you always want a guy that you can, like, trade with, but maybe you don't view things, like, so similarly. And GB and I have such similar philosophies on building a team and putting things together that it often becomes like, well, you – well, all the guys that I don't – I like, he ends up liking, and all the guys that I don't like, he ends up not liking. So it's hard to sort of, it's hard to sort of swap knowing that you're going to, knowing that both sides are going to like the players that they're ultimately going to give up. So I think we did sort of the best job possible of closing that gap. But I think GB, especially with, um, the Trigueros and Rudd especially, I think are going to be very good. I think you guys are sleeping on Rudd a bit. I really like his vitals. And I think especially if he has a guy like Trigueros fielding for him and a Hearn fielding for him, he is going to be really, really special. Um, like exactly the kind of number three starter who puts up better numbers than you expect and might find his way onto some like an all-star team or two at some point in his career. Jay, I want you to remember that uh, Rudd is – uh, very, very close to a uh, birthday at this point, so that peak's going to drop a little bit, and I know he just had a, uh, a ratings increase too, so um, <laughs> beware of that. Yep, we'll find out uh, certainly as to when he's going to end up. He's probably peaking in the next year or two, I would suspect, but probably. we'll find out. Uh, so let's talk about uh, another deal, uh, and that was the deal that Harold, Harold, our biggest friend of me in the chat to the podcast, uh, made a really bold move to trade uh, to Atlanta to trade with Atlanta for Dustin Thurman, giving up hit, the number three overall pick, the third round his third round pick, Pat Harada and Quentin Yaw in exchange for Herman and Atlanta's fourth. So um, Atlanta looked to move Thurman at the beginning of the off season. He I guess he saw him as a as he was although. Looks very promising, but was probably coming up too early for his time frame. And ends up moving to Harold, who's really sort of quietly switching the button into contending with now with Brian Pye and uh, Harperson close to the major leagues and Hugo in the major leagues. Uh, what? Did I call Harold Vertigo by mistake? No, no Vertigo the player. Vertigo the player, yeah. Oh, Verdugo, yeah. Um, Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So really sort of switching the button into contention now. So what do you think of we'll start with the his AL West compatriot Hick. What did you think of this deal for uh uh for uh LA and uh and Atlanta? 
I think it was a very bold move for LA, like you said. I think that's you know, it's one of those situations where he's got a bunch of prospects. So I mean, he's not going to be hurting too much without um, without his uh, his picks. You know, granted, your third overall pick is going to be useful, obviously. Um, but I mean, if he gets a long term first baseman and thurman, you know, that's that's what you want. I mean, he's going to be coming into contention uh, probably within the next maybe two years, maybe less. Um, it's funny because we all kind of scoffed at him last year, and all of a sudden this year he's flexing his muscles. And I've been talking to him recently, um, and you know, it's it, he, he's getting ready. You know, he's he's smelling blood. You know, especially you know with me in Seattle not making any positive moves, so to speak, in uh, in the off season here. Um, so, you know, it's not, it's something that he's really smelling being able to contend and compete in the next couple of years. Uh, and I am, I am scared of that because he's got a lot of good young players and, uh, even more so now with, uh, with Thurman. So I think it's, a it's, it's a good move. Um, I don't know if it's the right move, but you know, it's definitely going to help his team now and for the next few years. So, I mean, it, it'll help. And obviously Atlanta is continuing to do exactly what they want to do as well. So I think both teams definitely came out uh, victorious on this one. Uh, GB, what do you think of this deal? Um, I think it's I think it's pretty risky for Harold. Um, it could go really well for him or not go great. So I think with my philosophy on first baseman, um, especially right-handed first baseman, it better be elite to give up um, a really good haul for. And he gave up a really good haul. I don't think that pick is as valuable as some people think. Um, I think it's it's really good. I think you get a really good player there, but uh, it's a worthwhile risk as long as Harold can get that pitching staff in order. Um, it's just that I mean that right hand that right handed hitter um, for a first baseman better be really good, and hopefully this the whole jumping up really quickly thing. He doesn't drop really quickly as well, so that can happen. So um, I think it's a big risk, big reward for Harold um, for staying. I think it's a solid, solid move, definitely. Yeah, I think that to some extent uh, this deal is like one of those weird situations where I don't think either side is getting on as much on paper as it looks like. So I guess that. That sort of yeah. evens things, but uh, we'll start with we'll start with LA here. Now, Dustin Thurman, in my mind, is a very very talented hitter. Um, I I think that in the limited action he saw in Atlanta last year, he was honestly very impressive with his ability to draw walks and hit for power. <laughs> Maybe you'd want a lefty in that spot more than you'd want a righty, but it looks like he's going to be productive enough against both sides to make an impact. So. I think um, he can really hit. The big issue here is, A, first baseman isn't really a need for L.A. because they already have Ty, who looks like a phenomenally talented player in his own right. But they need to fill in that DH spot, but Thurman has that risk of only having 64 health. So especially with how quickly he jumped up, it's possible that an injury could really knock him back down fairly significantly. Um I would be very worried about that if I were Harold, which is maybe the, which is maybe what would have scared me enough not to make this move. But, but 
let's give Thurman credit for this. He looks like he's really going to hit, and he's right along that time frame that Harold wants. Only 23 years old, hasn't peaked yet, already shown some production in the majors, and really could be a dynamic bat at designated hitter. Now, for Stang. Stang is getting back the third overall pick, maybe not in a great draft, but I think it's going to be very hard to not find at least someone who's going to have the potential to be a superstar at the third overall pick. I think the bigger issue is the two prospects he got on look much better on look much better in terms of their ratings than I actually think they'll be as players. Pat Harada um, doesn't have great hitting vitals, not a very strong fielder. I think is going to be a platoon guy and maybe not a, an elite platoon guy, even if he gets up toward that 90 rating. Uh, maybe something, maybe something productive, but not something all that impactful. And Quentin Yaw has some decent vitals, but re- looks like has some characteristic home run issues uh, that I think will hold him back from really ever being a consistently productive player uh, in the major leagues. So, although I think that I, Gee, I know like a and I have disagreed on. Uh, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, it's just mostly my brain still recovering from all the caffeine I just shoved into it to solve the migraine issue. Um, I think um, Stang and I just disagree on the on player builds a lot of the time, and I think that might be part of this here. But I would lean toward Harold getting the better side of this deal. I think that this fits his needs a little bit more than it fits Stang's needs, but that's the way I see it. But, again, the uh, common theme in, in FCM is, give up a elite player, I mean, there's not as many people that you would think that are wanting that guy and offering a good deal. Especially with so many elite players on the move and so many player teams making their move before you can make your move. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, yep. yep. So uh, let's move on to Colorado and Florida. Uh, Colorado picking up um, – picking up uh, the controversial Joe Gray, as well as starter Tommy Martinez in exchange for uh, his first, second, and third pick, uh, Jeff Stockman, Benji Sweeney, and maybe very significantly, the horrific contract of Nate Sweeney finally disappears. Nate Helmsley, excuse me, finally disappears. I confused him and Benji Sweeney in my mind. Again, uh, probably a sign that a stroke is imminent from all the caffeine. Um, so Cadmus really trying to add to that pitching staff, as we've seen him with some other moves um, in the off season and in seasons past. Um, Martinez was a pretty was like the back end starter for Florida, put up some pretty decent numbers, but maybe not the vitals you'd really want from a starter there, and not a great ground ball guy. There are definitely some potential red flags there with Martinez. And Joe Gray, not really an impact-caliber player. Now, it's hard to separate what he's giving up for those guys as opposed to just getting rid of Hen- Hensley's contract here. So that's going to make it a very hard deal to evaluate. But, uh, Hick, try your best. Well, I mean, it's funny. You look at Tony Martinez, if he was uh, the fifth starter in Florida, if you project him based on, you know, performance and vitals, he'd be Colorado's ace going, if we, you know, starting today. So it's all, you know, a matter of perspective on that matter. Um, and at the same time, you know, it's it, it's very strange in Colorado. This feels like deja vu because didn't we do the last same, exact same thing last year? 
which was Colorado going all in, buying all these players, and then selling them all off, and then ended up with one of the worst records in the league. And it's, it feels like the same same story, you know, over again. But uh, maybe it'll end differently for them this time. So, I don't know. <laughs> all right. So, uh, GB, what do you think of this deal? Uh, what do you think of the players he's getting back, and what do you think about moving uh, Hensley's contract finally? I actually looked at this trade pretty decently. Um, I'll say this. I think Martinez is a horrible fit for Coors. Um, I mean, you have to have a systematic nose. You have to have a very specific build for a pitcher to succeed there, and uh, Martinez is the exact opposite. I mean, he was successful in Florida because of um, a lot of different things that aren't available in Colorado. And uh, to pay that price, I don't think it's a good thing. Um, Gray is all right. Um, but what do you what are you really competing against? Are you trying to are you trying to beat? You're not gonna you're not gonna win the division, which means you're not gonna get a wild card. And Cad, my fellow Michigan. Former native, just do the rebuild. Do the do the five to six year. Just say screw it, rebuild. Stop giving hokey picks. <laughs> um, Amen to that. The he could really, he could really, if he could really get his, his target prospect down, he could really do well in Colorado because he's good. He's a good drafter. He just, I think he he just try. He just wants to win real quick, and then he he just makes a move that doesn't make sense and then it just keeps going over and over but just rebuild and blah 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 I, I just don't think Martinez is a fit at all in Coors yeah I would be inclined to agree with that portion of this especially uh, I think Martinez although he put fairly solid numbers was in a great situation to do that in Florida uh, in a fly ball friendly park with a very very strong defense and that that is not the situation currently in Colorado. Uh, Martinez, I think, is despite his low control, probably could stick in a rotation, but maybe toward the back end, and certainly not a guy that you want to pin expectations on. Um, in terms of like the guys that that they picked that uh, Colorado picked up this offseason, I would much sooner bet on Todd McFadden to have a strong year in Colorado than I would on Tommy Martinez. Or even some of the guys he already has there, like Chris Smith and Neville Sheldon. That's horrible. Like that prediction or just... Yeah, that's not a good situation. Yeah, and I think that considering all the things he gave up, uh, I do agree that he had to clear Hensley's contract and probably should have done it years ago. You shouldn't do it, though, if you're in a rebuild. Yeah, I think maybe maybe he should consider blowing it up and uh, blowing it up and and uh, keeping those things around as opposed to pushing up uh, uh, pushing up some of these things here. I don't really hate Martinez, Gray, or Witt, but I don't think this is good value to both get those and move Hensley's contract. Honestly, and Hokey is going to have some fun with those picks. I'll tell you well, what. Is Hensley, um, his contract's up next year, right? Uh, it's two years. Yeah, so uh, he actually 65. got cut, but it was $65 million owed to him, which is a fairly significant amount of money. It is. It is if you're trying to compete in a certain time frame, but if you're – anyways. All right. Tad, mm-hmm. go blue. Come on, man. We got this. 
<laughs> Pep talking yourself, that's kind of dirty, quite frankly. Uh, no, he's a machine. So, moving on. <laughs> All right. God, what is this? I can't even. Um, we'll move on to the next trade on the docket uh, because this segment has just gone far too long, and that's Florida also getting picks from San Diego. Good job, everyone. Um, clearing the contract of Aaron Anderson, also getting uh, second baseman Dan with two ends, Gedice, uh, along with the first, second, and third round pick from San Diego in exchange for Ethan Shields and George Scroggs. Uh, Pokey, this is another part of his uh, his retool, bum, 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 uh, and uh, moving a very, very strong performer in Ethan Shields to the Padres, who are uh, clearly looking for another bat here. Um, uh, because they later moved uh, Tomas, they had already moved Tomas Marrero in order to pick up a pitcher. So, what do you think of this deal for uh, San Diego and Florida uh, GB? You know, I wanted, as I looked at it, I wanted to bash. Say, Hokey got a great deal again, but I think that it was a pretty fair deal. I think you know their base is hard to get in the league. Um, as longer I look at what's his name, the third baseman, the longer I think he's a pretty good player. Um, you know, it's Becker's looking to win right now, as you can tell from his amazing farm system. So uh, I think it's, you know, this is a deal that if he thinks he can compete and win the division and this is going to get him over, it's a good deal for him. I think it's solid either way. All right, what do you think of this deal, uh, um, Hick? Uh, I, I think that Hokey is a, a genius, uh, first of all, because he's got like 19 first and second round picks at this point, um, and he's still going to contend for the playoffs. Like, just think about that for a second. Um, it's terrifying. I refuse. I'm not, I'm, I don't want to think even about that. His, he's in my division. Even, Why would I think about that? I'm not even in his league, and that, and that scares me. But if you look at what San Diego got – they have a chance to overtake San Francisco this year. I know Vert is listening, and I know he's going to hate that. But they they did some pretty big moves, uh, both in free agency and in trades. Um, and I think they have a chance. Um, I, I, none of us really saw San Francisco making the moves that they did last year. And I think San Diego is almost an underdog this year. But uh, I think they have a decent chance of competing uh, with San Francisco. And then again, once you get into the uh, into the playoffs, you know it's a one in eight chance for. Uh, for the NL West winner. So, I mean, they, they, you know, San Diego, once again, they, they, they do not want a farm system. They, they never, ever, ever want a farm system. Um, it's like against their religion. And so if you trade away your you know, picks, but you get good players to put into your system, sorry, into your lineup, you know, that's what he wants too. So, I, again, it's a deal that works for both teams. Um, so I can't really fault either of them. Uh, what I'll say about this deal is it's, I think it's definitely an overpay for Decker, but I don't know if it's a, the worst overpay for Decker. Um, Shields, despite not having great contact, has been pretty damn productive. And looks, although Florida has like a weird um, system where, the, where they tends to, have, tends to favor fly ball pitchers um, more than ground ball pitchers, especially probably because of the park, um, I do think he has some good potential defensively. Um, and won't be a slouch there. Uh, he'll definitely hit for power, and I think uh, San Diego needs that. The issue is that he just dropped. 
So I think that's why he moved, he moved him at this specific point. Um, Scroggs, on the other hand, I think might be even in better fit there. Uh, another guy who's dropped, but still was relatively, still wasn't unproductive last year. Uh, I think could be a guy who bounces back a bit from the numbers he put, he put up in Florida. Um, looks to be probably best used in a platoon, but you could start him full time and probably get away with it. Um, uh, so, uh, so yeah, I think this is probably an overpay, especially the theory is giving up three picks for him and giving up Dan Gadeis, who I think is a very, very productive player when he's on the field and not injured. But I would say uh, probably a better deal for Hokey, but not, not an awful one for Decker. Next trade, then we go to predictions. We're on fire. Let's go. Okay. Uh, the huge trade between Pitt and Tampa Bay. Uh, maybe two names that we don't talk about all the time, but pretty interesting. Um, the Pirates picking up a very potentially strong starter in Joel Villarreal um, on a third-round pick from the Rays and $10 million in exchange for Pitt's first-rounder, Peter Carr, and Ben Schuletter. That can't possibly be spelled right. Um Gilly, as usual, making his bold moves to try to solidify himself in that in that very very uh, spicy NL Central. Uh, Hick, as what do you think of this deal? Ultimately, do you think that Villa Royale will help to put uh, Pittsburgh over the top? I think it will help them. I do not think it will put them over the top, um, uh, and it's it's a good deal. Um, but it's not going to make them instant contenders. Like I mentioned at the top of the pod, they'll be in the hunt. You know, the, like them, and they'll be a you know a class below Cincinnati, and then a class two classes below Milwaukee, I think. Um, but you know, they they will be good. You know, it's the, they're not going to be struggling. Well, let's put it this way: they'll be closer to ninety wins to the chance of ninety wins than they were last year when he made the bet. Uh, I think the bet this year would be a much more um, much better idea uh, if, you know, if Peter is up for that. But uh, I, I think it's not a bad move either because Villarreal is young. He's 26. Um, so it's a, he's going to be a staple in that rotation, which is going to be something that he's going to want if he's going to contend with those teams for a while. So, um, and then what Tampa Bay's return is, I mean, that's, you know, it's Tampa Bay. They, they can't pay you guys like Villarreal for a very long time. So um, I think that sort of deal is, you know, something that you kind of have to do. And um, it definitely helps what uh, Stillhead was looking for. Um, so, you know, it's, you know, it, it, another deal that I don't think, even though there's a big name going one way, um, I don't think it's really going to hurt either team. Uh, yeah, I mean, Tampa Bay still has a lot of pitching left there. Um, yeah. uh, not so sold on their fifth starter, uh, Grimades, but... Um, Harry Edge, or in, in Harry Edge isn't great either, but their top three is still rock solid with Ware, Dearman, and Delgado. Um, this is a this is I think the kind of like cutting out crucial parts move that you have to make if you're a small market. But Peter Carr looks pretty damn good and looks like he's going to be a very very good leadoff hitter, uh, one of the better leadoff hitters down the road. Uh, GB, do you think this is a win win? Like um, I guess I'm implying that I I'm implying that I do. Um, I looked at my notes, um, and then a measure of saving time. For some reason, I have Oakland involved in this deal with Pittsburgh and Tampa Bay. 
It's very confusing to me. So I'll just say, you know what, Peter Carr is pretty good, and so is Villarreal. Good job, guys. When would I have been involved in that trade? (laughs) Those are concepts. Uh, I would say I would lean toward Gilly winning this deal. Um, I think this is a deal that Tampa Bay had to make more than wanted to make. Uh, because Villarreal is about to get very expensive, but he's coming off a phenomenal year uh, for Tampa Bay. Only seven home runs in 185 innings. You know that warms my possibly heart attack having heart, according to the chat. Um, an absolutely an absolutely dynamic starting pitcher uh, with four pitches 80 or above and a great fastball. I, I think that Gilly's going to love this guy. Uh, even if he had to give up his first-round pick and Peter Carr, I would have definitely done that. I don't think that um, Tampa Bay got entirely hosed. I still think they're contenders, but this this really um, this brought Pittsburgh up to another like tier of a team in my mind. That's the kind of deal this is. All right then. I think the one Miller Oil is actually a guy I drafted once upon a time. I think I was still in Cleveland at that point, but I'm not sure. Anyways. And we already mentioned the we already kind of mentioned the Dick Pickle deal, right? Dick Pickle. Is that Dick Pickle. Me? Yes. What? Why not? Yes, we did. So we're on to predictions. Okay. So we're not going to go team by team because it's already an hour forty four into this podcast, and I'm and everyone who is listening is pretty sure I'm dying. So uh, are you dying? At least. No, um, just That's not as healthy as ideal uh, because, A, I'm off my ADHD medication, so I'm my I'm very stuttery and shaky with my speech anyway. And, again, my head still – my migraine, like, finally broke, like, midway through the podcast, and I'm still sort of recovering from that. So what do you guys – who do you guys think will be the playoff teams? Uh, we'll start in the American League, and we'll start with uh, – GB. Well, um, I have Tampa Bay winning the East. I have the Tigers winning the Central. I have Seattle winning the West. Um, Oakland would definitely be in the wild card, as well as the White Sox. Okay. That's my, that's um, my tale. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so what do you think about the AL, Nick? I've got everything the same except for the other wild card. I've got, um, well, I've got for my wild cards, I've got uh, myself and Baltimore. Um, so very close. I think that'll be a very close race in the wild card race between um, between all of us, to be honest. Um, I think that uh, Chicago has taken some pretty bold moves to put themselves in better position this year. And I think, you know, I think a few of us, I think, actually had predicted them to win the division last year. Sorry. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that'll be a, a pretty close race for those wild-card spots. Yeah, Baltimore had some third, lessons. by the way. But, anyways, in the division. Yeah, I, I think that Baltimore is going to be very interesting here because although they're coming off a great season, Keith Bryno just rating just collapsed on them. They have some other guys aging like EA and uh, not an elite pitching staff by any means. Uh, I think they have a hard time, like, repeating that record. Um, which is why I'm going to agree with every single one of GB's picks for the American League. Tampa Bay is going to win the East. Uh, Detroit's going to win the Central. 
Uh, Seattle's going to win the West, and your two wild card teams are Chicago and Oakland. Well, there we go. We got some pretty good, consistent picks overall. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now, let's move on to the National League. Again, guys, I'm sorry that we're not going team by team. Maybe if later this week, if you guys are good and don't act up, I can get out an actual like full season preview going team by team. Uh, but That'll probably yeah. be better to do after spring training anyways. Yes, probably. Um, so, quick predictions of the National League. Who do you think of the teams that are going to make the playoffs? We started with GB, so let's change it up and start with Hick. I've got Washington. Milwaukee, San Diego, and then my wild cards, I've got the Mets and, wait for it, the Marlins. Okay. I think, so I think it's going to be yeah, another really with close. That NL East combo meal. I think it's going to be a really close wild card race again. I think Cincinnati will be right down. I think there's going to be some sleeper that we're not going to notice. And I think the uh, NL West runner-up might even get involved in the wild card race, but we'll see. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, so what do you think? Uh, what do you think, uh, GB? I think the Mets, just because I can't figure out how you do what you do. I just <laughs> I look at your roster and I still I'm like, you know what? It's not as good as the other two teams, but it's gonna win it because it's just crazy. So, G, you and your Magic will will win the East. Um, I have the Reds winning the Central. Um, I have the Padres winning the West. Uh, Milwaukee and Washington in the in the in the um, wild card. Although Florida, I could be winning the World Series. So what do I know? <laughs> he barely made the uh, made the playoff last year. He had to play a playing game, didn't he? No, uh, not in the playing game, but he is in the wild card. Yep. Oh, okay. Mhm. Yep. So let's. Uh, I. I'm going to make some bold predictions here uh, in my case. I don't think I fully agree with any one of you, and I think the main reason for that will be the NL West. So I'm going to pick Washington to win the East. I think that they're one of the most improved teams in the offseason uh, with mm-hmm. the moves for Misla, Marrero, and I think an underrated move with Samuel Sonora. Um, yep. Maybe not an elite defender, but certainly in a, certainly like, has some potential with his bat. Uh, and gives you some and gives you some versatility. Um, fielded very well for St. Louis uh, last year, so we'll see how that goes. We'll see how that goes for them. I think the I think a platoon of him and Gallegos would just be, or or him and uh, or him and uh, Mal, Maljoso would be just splendid for him. Uh, Mark Wallace's rating drop probably hurts him a bit, and I don't think they'll win the division by a mile, but I do think they'll win it. Um, in the I'm picking Milwaukee in the NL Central. I just think that that's uh, that's pretty much a lock. Um, the Reds with with the Reds are good. Chicago's good. Pittsburgh's good. St. Louis is actually still decent, but I have none of those teams. Yeah, none of those teams are as good or complete as Milwaukee is. Uh, in the NL West, I'm still believing in Vert and taking San Francisco. Um. I think that they're still a more complete team than San Diego. I like their uh, – I still like a lot of the things they're doing, and I think a guy like Gary Moody getting called up and some of the other names that they're going to call up are going to really, really help things there. Um, for the wild cards, and this is really tough because I think that there are a ton of contenders this year. Mm-hmm. But I think Chicago can get into this. 
I think San Diego can get into this. Uh, the, the Cubs. Um, We're talking about the NL, remember? Yes. I'm just flabbergasted. Okay. Okay. I think the Cubs can get into this race. I think San Diego can get into this race. I think Cincinnati will still be in there. But if I'm going to pick the two most, if I'm going to pick the two teams that I think are going to make the wild card and the most complete teams, it's probably myself in Florida. That's so you agree with me then? Okay, thanks. Thank you for not saying the Cubs. Right, I didn't. I think that they still have some holes, but they're. But I think that if they make another move or two, they can jump into this race. I think. They're two years away, but they have a lot of talent, definitely. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, anyways. I think the NL Wild Card will be fun. Yep. Not fun to be and in. Who knows if Pittsburgh, and who knows if Pittsburgh has enough ammo in the tank to potentially make a run with Emery and Villarreal in that rotation, along with, you know, a Joe Thurber, or potentially calling up Nate Copeland this year. So but if you, they if really you have surprise. Pittsburgh interested, then, then you have to bump down the Cubs. It's true. Yeah, that's going to be the thing that hurts the Cubs the most, how hard that division is. In terms of top to bottom, it might be harder than the NL East because Philadelphia is still, like, I think a mid-level team right now, and Atlanta is just completely blowing it up. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I don't think there's a single team in the NL Central that's bad. I think everything could win 80 games. Yeah, I agree. Yes, that's possible. Um, So that's my predictions for the National League. Uh, I hope you like them. I hope you like that I sacrificed my health for you people. Um, no world Giving thing. you this edition, giving you this slightly delayed edition of the FCM podcast. Uh, I'll try to do a season preview to make up for the fact that we did not go team by team. It might be a little shorter than season previews in the past because we went over, normally on those we go over free agency and trades. Uh, we'll try to get that out to you maybe this week uh, with unknown co-hosts. But until then, thank you for enjoying this episode. Thank you for putting up with how shitty I sounded. And uh, anything else you guys want to add before we get off the air? No World Series picks? That'll take no time. Mm, okay, go ahead. All right, well, mine is going to be, I'm going to prop my co-host here, it's going to be Detroit over Washington. I'm going to say for bring that, I'm going to say the Michigan Wolverines over the New Orleans Saints. By a score of NCAA 47 to 43. Okay. Uh, thank you. Oh, yeah. That is very productive. No problem. Uh, GB, I'm sorry. I'm jinxing you too. I'm taking Detroit over Milwaukee. Thanks, Dick. Wow. You, you traded for the best second baseman in the league. You want me not to pick you? Uh, Look at the bullpen, G. You know I don't believe in bullpens. Come I on. I know you don't. I don't even t- Close the pod. Close it. <laughs> All right. I don't like this. Until this <laughs> until the next edition of the until the next edition of the <laughs> of the FCM podcast, this is your quote unquote mafia captain, according to Bert Dopey. He does not know how the mafia works. Uh, we'll shut this podcast down. Have a good night, everybody.